Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring CuriosityStream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. At less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. Welcome to my show on civil rights. My name is Barbara Bullen, and I'm the radio host for the New Heights Show on Education and the New Heights Educational Group. I hope you enjoy the show, and am asking our listeners to consider becoming a sponsor, as we are no longer sponsored by Silicon Valley High School. This show is pre-recorded. I will continue with the history of civil rights with the case of the Amistad slave ship, where African slaves from Sierra Leone revolted aboard the ship bound for Cuba. In February of 1839, Portuguese slave hunters abducted a large group of Africans from Sierra Leone and shipped them to Havana, Cuba, a center for the slave trade. This abduction violated all of the treaties then in existence. Two Spanish plantation owners, Pedro Montes and Jose Ruiz, purchased 53 Africans and put them aboard the Cuban schooner Amistad to ship them to a Caribbean plantation. On July the 1st, 1839, the Africans seized the ship, killed the captain and the cook and ordered Montes and Ruiz to sail to Africa. Montes and Ruiz actually steered the ship north, and on August 24, 1839, the Amistad was seized off Long Island, New York, by the U.S. brig Washington. The schooner, its cargo, and all on board were taken to New London, Connecticut. The plantation owners were freed, and the Africans were imprisoned on charges of murder. Although the murder charges were dismissed, the Africans continued to be held in confinement and the case went to trial in the Federal District Court in Connecticut. The plantation owners, Government of Spain and Captain of the Washington each claimed rights to the Africans or compensation. President Van Buren was in favour of extraditing the Africans to Cuba. However, abolitionists in the North opposed extradition and raised money to defend the Africans. Had it not been for the actions of abolitionists in the United States, the issues related to the Amistad might have ended quietly in an admiralty court, but they used the incident as a way to expose the evils of slavery 
and generate significant opposition to the practice. The brig Washington that seized the Amistad was commanded by Lieutenant Thomas R. Gedney. In maritime law, compensation is allowed to persons whose assistance saves a ship or its cargo from impending loss. Lieutenant Gedney claimed that it was with great difficulty and danger that he and his crew were able to recapture the Amistad from the Africans. They claimed that had they not seized the vessel, it would have been a total loss to its rightful owners. Gedney and his crew believed they were entitled to salvage rights or the full $65,000. At that time in U.S. history, even individuals acting their official capacity as officials of the government were entitled to salvage rights. In a libel or written statement in Admiralty Court, Gedney described the encounter with the Amistad. Because he sought salvage of the schooner and its cargo, he was very detailed in his account and itemized all of its cargo, estimating its value at $40,000 and the value of the Africans as slaves as $25,000. He relayed that the Africans could speak only native African tongues and that one of the two Spanish plantation owners, Jose Ruiz, spoke English. Gedney included in his statement the account of the mutiny as told by Ruiz. Abolitionists hired Roger S. Baldwin, a lawyer from New Haven, and two New York attorneys, Seth Staples and Theodore Sedgwick, to serve as proctors or legal representatives for the Africans. The proctors submitted to the district court an answer to the libels of Lieutenant Gedney, Pedro Montes, and Jose Ruiz. It conveys the position of the Africans. Each of them are natives of Africa and were born free and ever since have been and still of right are and ought to be free and not slaves. It states that they were not a part of a Spanish domestic slave trade and instead had been forcibly kidnapped from the African coast, and further that, while suffering great cruelty and oppression on board the Amistad, they were incited by the love of liberty, natural to all men, to take possession of the ship by force and seek asylum somewhere. The district court ruled that the case fell within federal jurisdiction and that the claims to the Africans as property were not legitimate because they were legally held as slaves. The U.S. District Attorney filed an appeal to, to the Supreme Court. In the trial before the Supreme Court, the Africans were represented by former U.S. President and descendant of American revolutionaries John Quincy Adams preparing for his appearance before the court Adams requested papers from the lower courts one month before the proceedings opened. For eight and a half hours, the 73-year-old Adams passionately and eloquently defended the Africans' right to freedom on both legal and moral grounds, referring to treaties prohibiting the slave trade and to the Declaration of Independence. The Supreme Court decided in favor of the Africans, stating that they were free individuals. Kidnapped and transported illegally, they had never been slaves. Senior Justice Joseph, Joseph Story wrote and read the decision. It was the ultimate right of all human beings in extreme cases to resist oppression and to apply force against ruinous injustice. The opinion asserted the Africans' right to resist unlawful slavery. The court ordered the immediate release of the Amistad Africans. Thirty-five of the survivors were returned to their homeland, 
The others died at sea or in prison while awaiting trial. And this was, uh, this is an extract from archives.gov backslash education backslash lessons backslash Amistad. In the United States, slavery still continued. The importation of slaves into the United States was banned in 1808, by which time between 300,000 to 500,000 had been imported. Subsequent slaves were nearly all born in, in the United States. By 1800, nearly all slavery in non-southern states had been banned, with Vermont being the first state to do so in 1791. However, conditions were unconscionable. Between 1700 and 1865, there were very few real restrictions of the conduct of a master towards his slave, except those that flowed from what at the time would be considered Christian decency and social norms. Around 1750, Quakers began to fight for the abolition of slavery. Beginning around 1825, slaves and white abolitionists began to gain ground in their struggle for independence. Slaves in, in the United States who escaped ownership would often make their way north with white and black abolitionist support to the northern part of the country or Canada through what became known as the Underground Railroad. The Russell House here at Wesleyan was one stop on the railroad. Famous active abolitionists of the United States include William Lord William Lloyd Garrison, Harriet Tubman, Nat Turner, Frederick Douglass, and John Brown. And that was brought from wesleyan.edu. I've included a poem I wrote which will begin the next series of radio shows about abolitionists and their help in abolishing slavery. Abolitionists cometh. We want freedom from our shackles and chains, independence to gain our rights. But wait. Abolitionists cometh to help in the form of white men and women. Can we trust them with our lives to help us to freedom, which is our right? The black man too. Can we trust him to save us? For in our motherland we were betrayed too often by some who kidnapped and sold us to slave hunters. With no choice but to seek the truth and goodness in them, we will put our lives in their hands and theirs in ours, and together we can make a difference to change the way of so many men who violated our souls and our bodies and of our women and children, all for the sake of them making us slaves. Abolitionists, we welcome you to help us overcome slavery. Abolitionists, come. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group, educational resources to help reach your goals. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying the New Heights show on education and want to support or donate to our organization, please visit www.newheightseducation.org. And while you're there, check out our online store. 
Welcome back to the New Heights Show on Education. My name is Barbara Bullen, and I am the radio host for this show. This show is pre-recorded and focuses on the history of civil rights. A recap of the first segment of the show on civil rights will continue with abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison. William Lloyd Garrison, born on December the 10th, 1805, grew up in Newburyport, Massachusetts. In 1808, Garrison's father abandoned his family. By age 11, Garrison had to support and educate himself. At the age of 13, he apprenticed to a printer and newspaper publisher. He had found his life's work. In 1829, Garrison met anti-slavery advocate Benjamin Lundy. He invited Garrison to come to Baltimore, Maryland and help publish Lundy's anti-slavery paper, The Genius of Universal Emancipation. On July the 4th of that same year, Garrison gave his first anti-slavery speech. Speaking in Boston's Park Street Church, Garrison strongly denounced the national sin of slavery. He also called for gradual emancipation of the enslaved and supported the American Colonization Society's program of shipping free blacks to their homeland of Africa. Most black Americans opposed gradualism and the largely white-led colonization program. They declared that America, not Africa, provided the only homeland they had ever known. Contact with black Americans in Boston and Baltimore led Garrison to reject gradualism and colonization. In 1831, back in Boston with his new newspaper, The Liberator, Garrison publicly committed himself to black abolitionist demands for an immediate uncompensated end to slavery and for political and social equality. Despite threats, violence and financial struggles, Garrison continued to hammer away for freedom and equality. He published The Liberator every week for 35 years. He gave speeches and helped found anti-slavery societies. He worked with, inspired, and on occasion offended activists such as Charles Lennox Remond, Frederick Douglass, Lucy Stone, Abby Kelly Foster, Wendell Phillips, and others. After slavery and The Liberator ended in 1865, he continued to demand equality for blacks and for women. At a women's suffrage meeting in 1873, he summed up his life's work. I am still for immediate, unconditional, everlasting emancipation from oppression of everyone on the face of the earth. William Lloyd Garrison died on May the 24th, 1879. He is, bur- he is buried in the Forest Hill Cemetery in Boston's Jamaica Plain neighborhood, and that was taken from www.nps.government. I will now read a speech by William Lloyd Garrison on the American Union, January the 10th, 1845, where it is said that he was a fiery orator against the institution of slavery. Tyrants of the Old World contemners of the rights of man, disbelievers in human freedom and equality, enemies of mankind, console not yourselves with the delusion that republicanism 
and the American Union are synonymous terms, or that the downfall of the latter will be the extinction of the former, and consequently a proof of the incapacity of the people for self-government and a confirmation of your own despotic claims. Your thrones must crumble to dust. Your scepter of dominion drop from your powerless hands. Your rod of oppression to be broken. Yourself so vilely abased that there shall be none so poor to do you reverence. The will of God, the beneficent creator of the human family, cannot always be frustrated. It is his will that every form of usurpation, every kind of injustice, every device of tyranny shall come to naught. That peace and liberty and righteousness shall reign from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth and that throughout the earth, in the fullness of a sure redemption, there shall be none to molest or make afraid. Humanity, covered with gore, cries with a voice that pierces the heavens, His will be done. Justice, disground by the hand of violence, exclaims in tones of deep solemnity, His will be done. Liberty, burdened with chains and driven into exile, in thunder tones responds, His will be done. Tyrants, know that the rights of men are inherent and unalienable, and therefore not to be forfeited by the failure of any form of government, however democratic. Let the American Union perish. Let these allied states be torn with faction or drenched in blood. Let this republic realize the fate of Rome and Carthage of Babylon and Tyre. Still those rights would remain undimished in strength, unsullied in purity, unaffected in value and sacred as their divine author. If nations perish, it is not because of their devotion to liberty, but for their disregard of its requirements. Man is superior to all political compacts, all governmental arrangements, all religious institutions. As means to an end, these may sometimes be useful, though never indispensable, but that end must always be the freedom and happiness of man individual man. It can never be true that the public good requires the violent sacrifice of any, even the humblest citizen, for it is absolutely dependent on its preservation and not destruction. To do evil that good may come is equally absurd and criminal. The time for the overthrow of any government, the abandonment of any alliance, the subversion of any institution is whenever it justifies the immolation of the individual to secure the general welfare, for the welfare of the many cannot be hostile to the safety of the few. In all agreements, in all measures, in all political or religious enterprises, in all attempts to redeem the human race, man as an individual is to be held paramount. Tyrants, confident of its overthrow, proclaim not to your vassals that the American Union is an experiment of freedom, which if it fails will forever demonstrate the necessity of whips for the backs and chains for the limbs of the people. Know that its subversion is essential to the triumph of justice, the deliverance of the oppressed, the vindication of the brotherhood of the race. It was conceived in sin and brought forth in iniquity, and its career has been marked by unparalleled hypocrisy, by high-handed tyranny by a bold defiance of the omniscience and omnipotence of God, freedom indignant, 
completely. It disowns it and calls for its extinction. For within its borders are three millions of slaves, whose blood constitutes its cement, whose flesh forms a large and flourishing branch of its commerce, and who are ranked with four-footed beasts and creeping things. To secure the adoption of the Constitution of the United States, it was agreed first that the African slave trade, till that time, a feeble, isolated colonial traffic should for at least 20 years be prosecuted as a national interest under the American flag and protected by the national arm. Secondly, that a slaveholding oligarchy created by allowing three-fifths of the slave population to be represented by their taskmasters should be allowed a permanent seat in Congress. Thirdly, that the slave system should be secured against internal revolt an external invasion by the united physical force of the country. Fourthly, that not a foot of national territory should be granted on which the panting fugitive from slavery might stand and be safe from his pursuers, thus making every citizen a slave hunter and slave catcher. To say that this covenant with death shall not be annulled, that this agreement with hell shall continue to stand, that this refuge of lies shall not be swept away, is to hurl defiance at the eternal throne and to give the lie to him who sits thereon. It is an attempt alike monstrous and impracticable to blend the light of heaven with the darkness of the bottomless pit, to unite the living with the dead, to associate the Son of God with the Prince of Evil, a curse with the American Union as a stupendous Republican imposture, a curse be it, as the most frightful despotism with regard to three millions, three millions of the people ever exercised over any portion of the human family. A curse be it, as the most subtle and atrocious comp compromise ever made to gratify power and selfishness, a curse be it, as a libel on democracy and a bold assault on Christianity. Taken from www .cpsk12.org This comes to the conclusion of William Lord Garrison's speech and the show. Thank you for listening. You can reach me by email barbarab at newheightseducation.org Be sure to join me every Sunday at radio.newheightseducation.org as I discuss civil rights. Also join Olenian Tabat's pre-recorded radio show which airs by Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and Pamela Clark's pre-recorded shows which airs Wednesday by 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Civil rights is our right. Have a great week. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings. At One Day University, 
we feature hundreds of top-rated professors from Stanford, Harvard, Michigan, Texas, UCLA, and other schools across the world to explore history, music, politics, art, science, and much more. Every Wednesday, our weekly Scholar Newsletter includes five fascinating short video clips of our most notable professors discussing a brand new topic, plus special reports and topical debates as well. Sign up for free at OneDayU.com. That's O-N-E-D-A-Y-U dot com.